Hi everyone, welcome back to Daily Manna, where we're learning to feed upon the Word of God chapter by chapter. This is Curtis, and today we're enjoying 1 Timothy chapter 3. In reading this chapter, it was just to help to me to be reminded of what the general subject of Timothy is, which you may be able to say is God's plan or God's economy concerning the church. So really, the focus of 1 Timothy, and as we're going to cover today, 1 Timothy chapter 3, is the church. The large majority of chapter 3 speaks regarding the qualifications of an overseer and of a deacon, ones that serve the church. Why are the qualifications of ones that serve the church in the way of administration of the church mentioned? It's so that there can be a proper functioning of the church, which is revealed in verses 14 through 16. How you ought to conduct yourself in the church, which is the house of God, the house of the living God, the pillar and base of the truth. Paul is charging us that for the church to be the house of the living God, we need to be those that live and act in our spirit. In the Old Testament, the house of God and his family were separate. You had the dwelling place, the temple, and the people, his family. But today, they are one and the same, and this is the church. When people interact with us, when they see us, when they see the church, they see not only the dwelling place of God, but they should also see the family of God. And the family of God is full of the believers, and they are the ones that know their spirit, that know Christ, not only knowledge, but also live him. Our God is living. Amen. How do people know that he's alive? Because we enjoy him and we contact him in our spirit and we live according to our spirit. This is proof that our God is alive today. When they touch us, they touch a living person. They experience a living God. The church is also the pillar and base of the truth. The truth, simply put, refers to the real things which are revealed in the New Testament concerning Christ and the church. The church is the supporting pillar and holding base of all the realities that are revealed in the New Testament. A local church or a local representation of the church should be a building that holds, bears, and testifies the truth, the reality of Christ and the church. So not just having an objective knowledge of what the Bible says and what the Bible has revealed, but really a living expression of all the rich realities that have been revealed in the New Testament, made available to all the believers. This brings us to verse 16. And confessedly great is the mystery. A mystery goes beyond our understanding. It refers to something which cannot be explained. If we were able to explain a certain matter, wouldn't it be a mystery? Yes, the church is the house of the living God. And yes, it is the pillar and base of the truth. But also it's the mystery of godliness. Meaning, it is God expressed. In this verse, there's a shift from confessedly great is the mystery to he who was manifested in the flesh. 
This shows that Christ, as the manifestation of God in the flesh, is the mystery of godliness. This mystery of godliness is the living of a proper church. Such a living is also the manifestation of God in the flesh. When we see verse 16, yes, God became a man, and God was manifested in the flesh. God was being expressed through a man, Jesus. And he was also justified in the Spirit, which we see in Matthew chapter 3 and 4. So he was approved as right and righteous by the Spirit. But also, even in offering himself through his sacrifice on the cross and his death, Hebrews 9.14 tells us that he was able to offer himself through the eternal Spirit, which points to him being approved in his resurrection. And from here we see, seen by angels. This means that in his resurrection and ascension, he was seen by angels. This one that was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, he is preached among the nations. Today he is preached among the nations. He's believed on in the world. But then this last part, taken up in glory. We may think that this is the Lord Jesus in his ascension. But actually, if we look at the context of this chapter and of this whole book, it's referring to the church. Because he is being preached, because he is being believed on in the world, this is Christ, taken up in glory, this refers to his church. When the Lord returns, we know that the church will be taken up in glory. The head, Christ, has already been glorified, and he desires to glorify himself in the church. 2 Thessalonians 1.10 says, when he comes to be glorified in his saints. It's very clear that the glory that the believers will be taken up in comes about on the day of his return. So yes, Christ has already been taken up in glory, but today he's working in us. He's growing in us, in the church, that the church, his body, would be taken up in glory upon his return. May we have such a vision of Christ, who is the mystery of godliness, the expression of God, that this mystery would be lived out in the church, that God in Christ would be expressed through each one of us, not only individually, but corporately as his body, as the church, living in anticipation of that day to be taken up in glory upon his return. Lord, grow in us day by day that you may be glorified in us upon your return.